everybody, and welcome back to Bear in Mind, the official podcast of AZA's Bear Tag. My name is Emily, and along with Lisa, we're so excited to be talking to you about all things bears. Today, we're going to be learning more about how the Bear Tag coordinates with other organizations to place black bear cubs in zoos. To talk to us about that today, we have Ann Myers. Ann, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. And before we dive in deeper into our topic for today, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, how you got started in the zoo field, and if you have a favorite bear species? Oh, uh, well, let me see. Uh, I tell people I literally grew up in a horse barn and uh, started in the zoo business back in the early 80s. After I got out of college, got a job on the CETA program as a groundskeeper and worked my way up through the ranks and currently curator of collections management at Audubon Zoo in New Orleans. Bears, first bears I ever worked with were a pair of Andeans and they will always be near and dear to my heart. I can totally relate and Andeans, it's one of those things. And I know Emily really likes soft bears too. And it's one of those things where you work with them and you just get it. You just fall for them. Something about those Andean bears. They're pretty awesome. <laughs> we're really excited to have you today and to have you on our podcast. And we know that you've been, like you said, you've been in zoos and you've been working in this field for a long time. But what about your role specifically for the bear tag? So what is your role in, within the bear tag? And how long have you been a part of bear tag, both in this role and in other roles? <laughs> so I've thought and thought and thought for the past several days, and it's been a long time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I really can't pinpoint it. I, I'm going to go back at least at least to 2010, if not before then. And I can't remember which came first, if I took over the Black Bear Registry from Stacy Johnson, or if I stepped up and said I'd be the secretary for Bear Tag, which I was for many years and just did step down recently looking towards my pending retirement. <laughs> so a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. Can you maybe talk a little bit about why you wanted to take on this role as well? You know, like what kind of drew you into like black bears and working to help place them? So I've always been a bear person. Those, those Indians really uh, sucked me in and got my heart going. And I just thought, you know, I just wanted to stay active in bear tag. And again, that's why I took on the secretarial position. And then um, when Stacy stepped down from Black Bear, the registry, it's not really, it's, it's a registry. It's not a stud book. Our population management is do not breed. So we just keep track of ins and outs in the population as best we can. It became available. Honestly, that's why I went with Black Bear. Nobody else stepped up and I was like, okay, I'll do this. And that's really interesting to know. And I think that's going to be, that's interesting for our listeners to know and understand because we talked about species survival plans and the cooperative breeding programs and all of that. And for American Black Bears, it's don't breed. So there's a registry and it's a don't. So why, what makes Andean, or Andean, see, look, I'm still thinking Andean <laughs> bears. What makes American black bears different than say Andean bears or sloth bears? Obviously in the wild, the black bear population is not hurting at all. As a matter of fact, they're rebounding. They've now found in every one of the continental United States. I made that mistake once and forgot to add continental and somebody said Hawaii. <laughs> There are other bear species, uh, the Indians and the sloth, that are in peril and, and need our help. So the black bear is a lot of zoos, including Audubon, exhibit regionally. So that's where your black bears fall in. 
yeah, I mean, we just, there's plenty of bears available for people, either nuisance or abandoned or orphaned cubs and young bears that I can almost always get placements. If you're looking for a bear, maybe not immediately, but within a short period of time. And unfortunately, there have been incidences where I could not find place. So it sounds like managing black bears in AZA facilities is really different compared to, like Lisa was saying, managing sloth bears or Andean bears. And getting into that mind frame, learning those skills and kind of figuring out what to do in those situations. Did you have any like mentorship or guidance from Stacy? Did he leave you any directions before jumping into this role? Or was it kind of just like learn as you go as like each situation occurred? So I, I also admit we need to include brown bear. Brown bear are also managed the same way as black bear are. So everyone understands that. When I took over the registry from Stacy, he gave me some mentorship, but a lot of it was good luck and it'll break your heart in. Um, <laughs> and it's true. I've had my heart broken a couple times. It's overall very rewarding, especially when I can place an animal that's facing euthanasia if it doesn't get placed somewhere. And I'm able to take care of that. Yeah, and to answer your question, I've kind of learned as I've gone along, the big thing is the developing those contacts with the state agencies who reach out to me. Yeah, that was kind of our next question. So we know, like you said, the black bear population especially is really rebounded. Like here in Missouri, we have a amazing population that just blossomed. And we actually, unfortunately, have one of our first uh, car strikes for a black bear in Southern Missouri. So their population is doing great here, but you mentioned state agencies. So when something happens that somebody does have a bear that cannot stay in the wild or go back into the wild. So is it is it a state agency that contacts you? Is it anybody else or kind of how does that work? Most of the times it's the state agencies that reach out to me. If an animal's on federal land, I might get a, a federal agent to reach out to me, but they're primarily managed by, by the individual states. Sometimes I will get, and I just had an email the other day from a lady, there's a cub or, or a young small bear, as she put it, wandering around the neighborhood. She's worried about it, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't know what direction to take. And I told her to reach out to her state bear biologist and let that individual know that I am available and could probably place that animal if needed, if that's the way they decided to go. A lot of the states have gotten more where they actually rehab these animals and relocate and try and get them back out in the wild, which is a good thing. Yeah, that's great that they have those rehab programs or potentially have rehab programs. That's really awesome. Um, and it's important, you know, especially people that are listening, if they live in a state that has a really healthy black bear population, that they do know who their black bear biologists are or who the those agencies are so that if something happens, they know who to contact and knowing that they are connected to AZA through you and through the tag. Are there any states that you tend to get more calls from if you feel comfortable sharing? <laughs> Who has California. your number on their Rolodex? California. <laughs> California, okay. Calls yeah. me a lot. We're good buddies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're getting more to putting them back out or, nice. you know, letting them uh, subsist a lot. California, Montana, the Northwestern states, the Oregon Zoo, Seattle, Woodland Park, they both have good programs that, where they work with their state bear biologists. And I keep referring to the bear biologists. They work for the state natural resource department or whatever your state refers to them as. Louisiana, the Fish and Wildlife. 
and then Alaska, but Alaska is a little bit different because you have to actually apply ahead of time and let them know uh, what orphan animals you're looking for. It's a very simple, easy process. I have the contact information. Again, that's the same for black bear and brown bear. And then they just approve. Most states prefer AZA. Some states will only deal with AZA. Some states are getting better about dealing with non-AZA facilities if they have a good background check. For a lot of these animals end up, do end up going into sanctuaries. Yeah, and it's I'm glad you mentioned that because it's obviously been talking a lot about AZA and why, you know, AZA and the accreditation process and why all of that is so important. But to know that there are places that kind of still check the boxes and are even if they're not accredited by AZA, still check the boxes as a good place for potentially brown and black bears to go. So I think that's really great that can help guide that process and that states are really, you know, looking at that and really looking at where these animals are going to end up and not just saying, we need to get rid of this bear or we need this bear to go somewhere. We don't care where. So it's really cool that they're, you know, really discerning and looking at where these bears are going to end up and how they're going to spend the rest of their lives. Yes, they're definitely looking out for the welfare, long-term welfare Mm -hmm. of that animal. And then the other thing that you have to know, Alaska, if you take an animal from Alaska, it's for life. You've made that commitment for the life of that animal. Yeah, like you said, Alaska is a, it's unique in many ways. <laughs> so this whole process, you know, it's again, for a lot of our listeners that may not be in the zoo world, a lot of times we get the questions, especially within education, like for Emily and I, you know, we get that question pretty often. Where do your animals come from? You know, how do you get your animals? You know, knowing long ago how animals were brought in from the wild, but now we have our cooperative breeding programs. So we tend to focus on the fact that we don't bring animals in from the wild. But in this case, you know, we do serve as that kind of sanctuary type situation. So it's unique. And in terms of the steps and what that takes to bring an animal from the wild into a zoo, what do those steps look like if somebody's, if California calls you and says, we got a bear that needs, needs to go somewhere? So I maintain a running list of facilities that are looking for bears. Um, and if I don't have a running list, sometimes I'll be annoying and put it out on the list server or something. Right? Hey, I don't have any now, but I know I'm going to be needing to place bears. That's kind of my connect. And then the states just reach out to me. Or a lot of times they'll reach out to Travis, who's the chair, and he bumps it to me. So that's how we make that connection. And then go from there. It depends on the state. It depends on the facility again. Um, but I try to connect the facility with the state um, agency that's looking to place a bear. And again, if it's California, I have a pretty good rapport with them now. I did with Montana, but she retired on me. <laughs> But I still, you know, they're all great to work mm-hmm. with. They really are. And they want to do what's best for the bears. So last year, it was actually Easter weekend. I got a call from the Louisiana State Bear Biologist. They had a cub that was 65 foot up in a tree and had been out there for several days now, abandoned oh, wow. by mom. And they actually they had to get a, a tree company with a bucket truck to come get this, this little bear out. <laughs> Oh, so I'm driving up to Northeast Louisiana <laughs> to pick up this little oh, wow. less than five pound bear cub that I could hold in both of my hands. Oh, my goodness. And coincidentally enough, uh, Audubon, we had just lost our last black bear. So we were looking and she's a Louisiana black bear. So that yeah. worked out great. 
and yeah. uh, so we added her to our collection and then because we didn't want a lone bear reached out to alaska and got two siblings out of alaska so we now have three female black bears. oh wow that's oh that's 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 awesome. that's awesome it's a lot of energy but that's awesome that's great <laughs> and i love that that there's a social situation there that can exist yeah. with black bears too and so yeah. that's really cool i like that a lot and, you know, you mentioned that what you do um, running this registry and making these connections and making these calls can be heartbreaking. But is there any, has there been anything, I mean, obviously going to collect a five pound cub is pretty awesome <laughs> and pretty unique within any field. But are there any like specific accomplishments or anything um, that you've been able to do in this role that you're especially proud of? So on a personal level, I would say that bear cub mails it big time. On a professional level, putting it out a little bit early, but hopefully the animal care manual that we've been working on for years and years and years is about ready to be published or at least peer reviewed on the husbandry course together. You know, we got derailed for COVID. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very excited that that's going to happen in October. I know it's away from black bear specifically, but I'm just super excited that we've been able to pull this together. Absolutely. Yeah. We were talking to um, Travis and Gary about it a couple episodes back and it's just so, so exciting being able to share all that knowledge. And I'm sure that you, especially with all your years in the field and working with black bears in such unique situations, it's going to be really exciting to be able to kind of share that out with other um, keepers and caretakers. It's really, really amazing. Yes. I'm, I'm thrilled to death to do it. Be my <laughs> swan song before I retire. <laughs> So really quickly, just to kind of go back all the way to the beginning of the episode, I know we've talked all throughout about how black bears are being moved into these situations in zoos. And we kind of talked a little bit about some of those reasons, maybe they're being orphaned or being nuisance bears. Can you maybe expand a little bit on those reasons of why we have to move those bears into uh, human care or how they're ending up in these situations? If there's any like kind of trends that have been happening over the last few years? You know, again, it's mostly the orphan. Something happens to mom, just like the the cub in Louisiana that we had. She just was not old enough. She was not going to make it on her own. There were a couple cubs last year up in Connecticut that I tried to bring in to put with our young female at the time. And they were like, no, these bears are old enough. They're going to make it and we're going to leave them. So the trend is more for the states to leave them. They use their best judgment, but more to leave them and let them be wild as they're supposed to, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. Mom gets killed, they're abandoned for whatever reasons. We get nuisance animals, as a lot of times females, um, sows will learn to either go to the garbage dumps or to the neighborhood garbage cans or whatever. And so they teach the young, their, their offspring, the cubs, those tricks, if you will. And then so all of a sudden you go from one nuisance bear to potentially four or five. I mean, black bear can have up to four cubs. So you've got a sow with four cubs. That's five bears right there that are learning to be nuisance bears and garbage bears. And those cubs need to be pulled and removed from that situation before, yeah, I mean, an adult bear is not something to tangle with by any means. Thinking about nuisance bears, I know, you know, especially with national parks, they have a lot of signage and messaging about, you know, how to stay safe and how to not feed bears and why that's important. Bed bear is a dead bear. But again, if there's listeners here that live around black bears, there's things you can do within your home with your personal property 
in Missouri, they have the bear aware campaign. So once our um, population got up, started growing, it was more like put your bird feeders away or, you know, make sure you're using cans that they can't get into or not leaving your dog food out. So would you, Anne, would you recommend, you know, people just making sure they understand, especially depending on where they're at in the country, what they can do to help prevent these kind of nuisance situations? Sure. You know, where there's a high population of, of bears, uh, like you said, Missouri, the states have this, this information and programs to get out to people. And if you are in a state in an area that has a pretty high incidence of bears, I reach out to your state agency and be like, hey, what can we do? You know, we're doing this and this. What else can we do? Bears are notorious for getting in swimming pools. <laughs> Uh, you know, let them swim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah it, I would just um, recommend reaching out to your state agency and how they best want to handle individually uh, within your state and county. A lot of times if they don't find what they're looking for, they will move on. Well, it's so, so cool, Anne, that you've kind of created these relationships with each of the fish and wildlife representatives from the states that you're in contact with. I know for most of the episodes that we've been talking with people for right now, they're kind of like in the zoo field, which is amazing. Those zoo to zoo connections are so, so important. But it's really awesome being able to showcase and highlight the connections that we have with other organizations who aren't zoos. So like your work with the government and being able to create those connections and really show how important zoos are for being able to help animals in the wild. It's really, really amazing being able to show how you're able to just kind of create those connections and really work with those agencies to have that one common goal of helping the black bears have the best lives possible and the best situation for them. Yeah, and I think uh, bear tag's unique in a lot of ways in that we do have a lot of dealings with government agencies between the black bear and the brown bear and the polar bears just within this country itself. So you don't find that as much with your other tags. I know Fila tag has a few, but not like bear tag. Yeah. It's really, it's nice that it's more than the zoo. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right. Well, Anne, I have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you today (laughs) and learning so much from you. And I'm really glad. Hopefully this is another thing you can check off as part of your swan song before you retire. (laughs) But we're so glad you could join us today. Thank you for having me. It's been um, a a pleasure and a lot of fun sharing um, what we do for Black Bear. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, Anne. It's just so, so exciting to be able to learn more about this just because it's kind of a process that not many people, you know, outside of the zoo world and even maybe some of them within the zoo world really know. So it's so great that you're able to kind of share and highlight this. So thank you again for coming on. Thank you for having me. And thank you all to everybody out there who took the time to listen to this episode today. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or you can follow us on social media at AZA Bear Tag on Instagram and Bear Tag on Facebook. If you have any questions, you can email us at azabeartag at gmail.com, or if you want to learn more about the Bear Tag, you can visit us online at beartag.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Bye!